The scripture reading is from Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors to your ways so that sinners will look back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and the burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. So Psalm 51 is a prayer of repentance. King David wrote this psalm after he had committed a very serious sin and then for a season had really drifted from the Lord. And this is the prayer that he prayed when he sought to be forgiven and restored by God. Well, how do you do that? If, uh, if you've drifted from God, if you've uh, maybe fallen into some patterns of sinful behavior, let's say maybe there are things going on in your life and you know these things are not right, how, how can you be restored? How do you seek spiritual restoration? Well, Psalm 51 uh, would suggest to us that if, you, if you're seeking this kind of restoration from God, there are really three things you need to do, three essential steps you need to take, and they are these. You need to speak the truth to God about your sin. You, you need to seek genuine change in your life. And then thirdly, you need to believe that God will restore you. Those three things. To put that more succinctly, these are the three steps. Speak truth. Seek change. Trust God. Speak truth. Seek change. Trust Him. So first, um, you need to speak the truth. You need to be just honest, very honest about your sins and your failures. Uh, when, I was, when I was a kid, there was a very popular TV show. Maybe you've seen some of the old reruns. Have any of you seen that show, Happy Days? Remember that show? Happy Days is about a bunch of young people that lived in a, a small town in the Midwest somewhere. And the coolest 
person in that town, remember, was Arthur Fonzarelli, the Fonz. He had his hair slicked back and the, the leather jacket and the cool motorcycle. And the thing about the Fonz, if you ever saw the show, the Fonz could do anything. There was nothing he could not do. If he wanted to hear a song, he'd just tap the jukebox, out would come music. If he wanted a soda, he'd just hit the vending machine, out would come a bottle. If he wanted a date, he'd just, remember, snap his fingers and women would come around. The Fonz, the Fonz could do anything except he could not admit when he was wrong. It's kind of a running gag on that show. When he had hurt somebody or offended somebody, he would try to say, I was wrong, and he couldn't say it. He was like, I was wrong, I was wrong. He, he just, he could not admit his own wrongdoing. Listen, to find restoration from God, you, can, you can't be like that. You've got to be honest about your sin, and, and that's the way David is. Notice in this psalm, David, the psalmist, he is brutally honest about his sin. And he doesn't, he doesn't refer to it as a mistake. He doesn't talk about, you know, weaknesses that he has in his character. He doesn't, he doesn't say, you know, I've made some bad choices. He just calls it sin. In fact, if you look at this psalm, you'll notice he uses more than one word to describe his sin. At the end of verse 1, he calls it transgressions. And that's, that translates a Hebrew word that means the willful violation of God's law. Beginning of verse 2, he talks about his sin as iniquity. That translates a Hebrew word that means twistedness or waywardness. He's, he's just saying there's something twisted about my character, about my behavior. End of verse 2, you see the word sin. That translates a Hebrew word that means missing the mark or falling short. David says, I, I have fallen short. I have I've failed to live up to the calling I've received from God. So he's just being honest. He's saying, listen... I have broken God's law, I have twisted God's will, and I have missed the mark. He's just very honest, isn't he, about his sins. And I think what's even more important than these various words he use, uses is that you'll notice in front of each one of these words, there's this tiny little personal pronoun, my. He says, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Verse 3, for I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. He's just, he's, what is he doing? He is owning his sin. And would you agree with me that that's, that's really important, right? It's so, it's so easy for us to, to blame other people, to blame circumstances for what really are our shortcomings, you know, maybe I, yeah, I shouldn't have said what I said, but you need to understand, I am under a lot of pressure at my job, right? Or, uh, you know, maybe I, I'm not everything I should be, but my parents did not set a good example for me. Or, yeah, I lost my temper, but my wife, man, she knows how to push my buttons. It's so easy, isn't it, to fall into these patterns of just blaming others. Did you know what Jesus said? Jesus taught that we will never, ever truly be right with God or whole within as long as we go through life focusing on other people's failures. We never will be. Here's what he said. You've heard this verse, right? Matthew 7, verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the what? To the plank in your own eye. 
You ever done that? I've, I've done that. We're just, everyone else, it's the problem is them. But not looking at me. Well, David doesn't do that, does he? In fact, he goes beyond that. He, he basically says, not only can I not blame other people for my sin, he says, I have to admit, if I'm honest, that my sinfulness, this has always been a part of me. This is not something new. At ver verse 5, he says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So by saying that, he's just saying, you know what? I cannot blame my circumstances. I cannot blame my upbringing. I cannot blame the influence of society. This sin, this has always been right here, always in me. Verse 4, he says to the Lord, against you, Lord, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are right in your verdict. You are justified when, when you judge. And basically, he's just saying to God, he says, God, I plead guilty. Any, any uh, sentence that you might pronounce upon my crime, I, I deserve whatever you give me. I am guilty as charged. No excuse. That, I, I think this psalm would suggest to us that um, if we really want God to restore and renew and revive us, we have to be willing to pursue that level of honesty. Just, I wonder what that would look like for you to just be, God, I'm going to be just honest. I'm not, no more excuses, no more blaming. Let's talk about me. Just honest. So the first step to restoration is speak truth. The second is seek change. I, I was reading the words of one uh, young pastor near Chicago. I thought his insights were really uh, helpful. Here's what he wrote. He said, why does genuine transformation evade us? You, you ever ask that question? Why, why is it that I just, I, it seems like it can never get past certain things in my life. I'm just always stuck right there. So why, why does genuine transformation evade us? He says, perhaps it's because we do not understand that confession and repentance are not the same thing. In our desperation to be done with the shame of our sin, we confess it, but then sometimes we foolishly believe our work is done. We fail to really realize that confession is just the beginning. We must choose the gospel-motivated response of repentance. What, what is repentance? Well, in, in the Old Testament, the word that is most commonly translated as repent was a Hebrew word that meant to turn, to turn back, to turn around. In the New Testament, the word that was most commonly translated repent was a Greek word that meant to change the way you think, to turn around and to change your mind. So both of those words would tell us that, listen, according to the Bible, a person cannot be, cannot be said to have repented if they haven't changed, if, if their life and their values and their attitudes remain the same. That's not repentance. And spiritual revival, restoration for God, it can only happen when from the cry of your heart is, God, I want to change. I don't want to just keep confessing the same sin over and over again. God, I want you to change me. Have you, have you ever reached that place where you just say, God, I'm sick. I am sick and tired of being stuck here. I want to change. Now, the thing about David that you'll notice is the change in he's, that he's seeking. This is not just change 
to his external behavior. Now, he, he had committed a very serious sin. Some of you probably know about that sin from reading other places in the Bible. His actions were very, very bad. But notice, he doesn't say, God, would you please help me to change my actions? You know, God, you remember what I did? Help me to never do that again. You know, just, God, please help me to alter my behavior. That's not what he's, he's praying. What does he pray? Look at verse 10. He says, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Would you say, would you agree with me? David's just saying by that phrase, God, would you change, would you change who I am on the inside? Create in me a, a pure heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Verse 11, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me what? Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. In other words, David, he's just crying out to God to make him new on the inside. And it seems to me that's, that's the opposite of what... Um, what we often do. Would you agree with this? Our, our tendency, at least I struggle with this, our, our tendency is often just to focus on our outward behavior, those things that we feel ashamed of because people know about them. We just want to kind of clean up on the outside. Maybe someone says, you know what, if I can just learn to bite my tongue so I stop using profanity, right? Or if I can just learn to count to 10 so I stop losing my temper, or if I could just, you know, learn to control my eating so I don't, I don't overeat, just, if I could just change something on the outside. Here's, here's the problem with that. If, if all we focus on uh, is our external behavior, listen, external behaviors, would you agree they are usually a symptom of much deeper internal issues? So if all I do is focus on changing my behavior, the changes I make will never last very long, will they? They just won't last. Let's imagine that I have, I have an apple tree, all right? And the problem is my apple tree does not produce good fruit. All the apples, they're really tiny and they're dry and they're bitter and hard, just horrible. You can't even eat these apples. So to resolve that problem, I go to the supermarket and I buy a big bag of just, you know, sweet, juicy golden delicious apples and I bring that bag home and I get a roll of tape and I tape all these apples onto the branches of my apple tree. Problem solved, my tree has good fruit, right? No. How long is that going to last? It's not going to last long at all, right? It's, it's, I, I haven't really solved the problem. Do you know this verse in, in Matthew 12, 33? Remember Jesus said this? He said, make the tree good and the fruit will be good. Make the tree good and the fruit will be good. In other words, Jesus said, don't just, don't just try to change the fruit. You need God to change the tree. And this is what David is asking for here. He's saying, God, I don't want to just clean up my act. I want you to make me new inside. Create in me a pure heart. So I wonder what, what would it look like for God to make deep, deep changes inside you. I wonder if there are any lies that you have believed, lies from the world, lies even from the devil, lies about who you are or the nature of reality. You have believed these lies. What would it look like if God were to come deep inside you and just expose the folly and the falsehood of those lies and set you free from them? What would happen with you? Or, or, or maybe there are, are some fears deep down inside you. You've allowed these fears to control you. 
What, what, would, what would it look like if God were to come and just set you free from those fears? How would you change? Or, or maybe, there are, um, maybe there are some good things in your life and you've turned them into ultimate things. You've made them more important than God to you. In other words, they become idols and they now kind of have a power of you. What would it look like if, if you were to invite God? God, would you just come and knock these idols down and reorganize my life so you're, you're number one for me? I wonder how your life would change. See, the reason I ask these questions is for you and for me to experience real renewal. Those are the kinds of changes we need to be inviting God the Holy Spirit to do within us. So how do you, how do you seek restoration? Speak truth. Seek change. I think the last step is the most important. You need to trust God. In other words, you just need to believe that as you turn from your sin, as you turn to the Lord, He will turn to you. In other words, that God will forgive you. God will renew you. God will restore you. Now, when you look at this psalm, um, you realize, you know, David here, he's really asking for a lot, isn't he? This is a big ask from David. Verse, verse 1, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. He says, Blot out my transgressions. The, the, the word that they translate uh, blot out was a Hebrew word. It just meant to obliterate or completely wipe away. This is the word, it's used in the book of Genesis uh, to describe what God did in the flood. When God just came, he, he just wiped out all the sinfulness in the world by sending the flood. And, and that's what it means. There's just, it's, it's gone. There's not a trace of it left. Just a completely clean slate. And this is, this is what David's saying. He's saying, God, when I wake up tomorrow morning and I look in the mirror, God, I want to be looking into the face of a man whose slate has just been completely washed clean. That's what I want from you, God. He's, he's asking a lot, isn't he? Beginning of verse 2, he says, wash away all my iniquity. And, and the verb that they translate, wash away, it was a, a word used for somebody that would take clothing, dirty clothing, and go down to the river and just rub it on a rock or on a, on a, on a remember those old washboards, just back and forth, scrubbing, 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 until all of the dirt is gone. He's saying, God, that's what I want you to do for me. I don't want to just kind of wipe the surface of my life and clean it up on the outside. I want you to cleanse me through and through. He, would you agree? He's asking for a lot. He, wash away all my iniquity. End of verse 2. He says, and cleanse me from my sin. And that, that was a verb that referred to ceremonial cleansing. It was a kind of cleansing that a priest would perform for a person so that that person could now come boldly into the presence of God to worship him without any fear at all. And David's saying, that's what I want, God. I don't want you just to forgive me. I want to be welcome in your presence. I want to come into your presence without any fear and worship you again. So, man, this guy who had committed such a serious sin, he's asking for a lot. Let me ask you, do you, you think God would do that for David? Let me ask you this. Do you think God would do that for you? Now, it seems that David believed that God would really do this for him. And I say that because if you read through this psalm, one thing that you'll notice if you look at the verbs, in the first half of this psalm, all of the verbs are either in the past 
or present tense. In other words, at the beginning of the psalm, David is either describing the sinful actions of his past or the sinful condition of his present. But somewhere in the middle of the psalm, that changes. Somewhere in the middle of the psalm, with greater and greater frequency, David begins to use the future tense. You see this in verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Verse 13, and I will teach transgressors your ways. Sinners will turn back to you. Verse 14, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. O God, your God, you who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Verse 15, my mouth will declare your praise. Verse 19, then you will delight in sacrifices. Bulls will be offered on your altar. So you see this as the psalm progresses. This man who had committed an incredibly serious sin, and who's not asking for a little forgiveness, he is asking for it to be blotted out and wiped away, right? He increasingly uses the future tense. Why is this? I'll tell you why. It's because as he asks God to forgive and restore him, he believed God would do it. God will really do this. He believed. Now someone might say, wow, whew. David must have had something up his sleeve. I mean, you know, if he, is, if he was that convinced that God was going to restore him, he, David, you know, David, he must have been planning to do something really big for God, right? To make it worth God's while, some big sacrifice he's going to, sacrifice, he's going to offer to the Lord. But notice, that is not the case, is it? David, David, he just knew that there was absolutely nothing he could ever do to merit that kind of forgiveness from God. Verse 16, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Verse 17, he says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. In other words, he's saying, God, God, the only thing I have to offer you is my brokenness, my sin. That's all I can offer you is my sin. That's all I've got, right? So here's the big question of this psalm. If David is asking such a big ask. I mean, this is, he's just asking for so much from God. He's want all of his sin gone forever, a clean slate, a full confidence to come before the Lord. And if he knows there is nothing he could ever do to merit this, here's the question. Why is he so sure that God will restore him? What's he, what is this assurance based on? Well, I think you see the answer at the very beginning. He says it right off the bat, verse 1. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to what? Have mercy on me according to the sincerity of my repentance, because I am really sincere. No, he doesn't say that. He, have mercy on me, O God, according to how hard I'm going to try to change. I promise you I'm going to work at this. That's not what he says. No, have mercy on me, O oh God, according to all the good things I've done for you in the past. You remember the way things I've done? No, that's not it. His assurance, isn't it something? His assurance of God's mercy, it's not based on his feelings. It's not based on his actions. What does he say? Verse 1, have mercy on me, O oh God, according to your unfailing love, according to your compassion, 
Not my merits, not my actions, not my feelings, but on you. Blot out my transgressions. So his confidence, his confidence that God will restore him. Do, do you have that confidence that he, as you seek the Lord, he will restore you? His confidence, it's based on one thing. It's based on what he knows about the unchanging character of our God. He just knows that, guys, the Lord, our God, He is a God of steadfast love. Do you know that? He is a God of abundant mercy. Have you learned that yet? David just knew that God will restore and forgive those who come to Him in repentant faith. Why? Because, listen, that's the kind of God He is. Amen? Now, David, how did David know this? David knew this from his knowledge of, of the history of God's work with Israel. Okay? We know this. We know that God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, rich in mercy. You know how we know this? We know this from the work that God did through his son, Jesus Christ. In other words, if David could be confident of God's mercy, whoa, we, we could be, what, a thousand times more confident. We've seen what he did through his son. You know, 1 John 4, verse 10, is a, is a, this is a great verse. It just kind of summarizes the gospel. It says this, God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice or a propitiation for our sin. That means God loved you and He sent Jesus. If you will turn from your sin and just simply trust Him, God sent His Son Jesus on the cross to take all the punishment that every one of your sin deserves. Just take it away. It's gone. And as we turn to Christ and, and trust in Him, listen, just going to be sure, God will forgive me. I, God will accept me. God will restore you. Do you believe that? Um, that's what we need to do. More than anything, believe. You know, I, I love um, beginning of uh, Book of Mark, Mark 1, verse 14 and 15. It just talks about how, the, like sort of the inaugural sermons of Jesus' ministry. These are the very, this was like the very first thing he started to preach. It says, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, this was his sermon, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and Believe the gospel. That's what Jesus said. Repent and believe. Believe. See, guys, it's not just enough to confess our sin. We need to repent of them. But it's not just enough to repent of them. We need to believe. God forgives. God has forgiven you, Christian. Believe that. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says... In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So don't stop at confession. Repent. But don't stop at repentance. Believe. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that with full confidence, we can know that when we turn, no matter how far away we are, 
We start back toward your house, the Father's house. You, Father, come running to us. You throw your arms around our neck and you hug us and kiss us. You say, welcome home. We know this because of what you did through Jesus. And we thank you for it. Amen.